Three Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Dieter Kurtenbach is here. He's back Hi, for a triumphant return. <laughs> Let's go with that. Triumph is here. And I haven't had Dieter on the podcast for a while because Dieter's got a lot going on in his life. He's dealing with the 49ers. He's dealing with you know whatever oh, we want to call the Warriors. He's dealing with planning a wedding in Scotland right now <laughs> from the Bay Area. Yeah. He also randomly has a yeah. dog in his house right now. Not, so, not, not, th- not thrilled about the latter one. The latter one is a godless killing machine and uh, more like a cat. I, I am very excited to get a chance to chat with you <laughs> despite all of those factors. Because it's amazing I could carve out time for one of my best friends. I know, right? Like, it's crazy. Um, we have lost be... our mojo a little bit, buddy. Oh, we, we a little lost bit. It's know. crazy. I, you... I, miss you, I miss you in my life. I miss you in my life. It's, it's, I got my priorities all wrong. It's because you're stuck writing these bad quarterback takes on these teams uh, that play the 49ers. The Kirk Cousins it, it, one was fine. I agree with you on Kirk Cousins. He's just like a fine <laughs> quarterback now. But, the oh, Aaron but we're Rogers all going to hold so dearly. We're holding on so dearly to the, these, this old version of Aaron Rodgers, and, and he's let it go, so you can let it go too. I don't think he's let it go. I, I've watched okay. every Packers game this year because Laura is randomly a Green Bay Packers fan. And, like, we're mm-hmm. talking a real Green Bay Packers fan for someone that grew up in Melbourne. Right? Super like, weird. I think that it's like she liked the green and yellow colors, which are obviously Australia colors, uh, mm-hmm. when they play in international competition. She really likes Aaron Rodgers, too. So she's like, she is dove headfirst into being a Packers fan. So I've watched every Packers game this year, and I don't, I don't get at all where you're coming from with saying, like, Aaron Rodgers is not great anymore. Yeah, he, he, he isn't. I, I, I don't I mean, – Well, like, I think great, part great. of it is that you – we have to figure out how to, like, categorize the throwaways because I think he has, like, 50 more throwaways than anyone else in the it's, NFL it's, this year, which is jarring the amount of throwaways. I mean, and it's not like – listen, there is value to some. He is well over the acceptable limit of throwaways. At some point – I don't know if I agree with that. Conceding. I, I – Every, it's like bunting in baseball, a throwaway. Not always, no. Because not, not, not always, not always. Sometimes the pitcher has to come up, and you're like, "Thank God he can bunt." Well, it's it's more risk avoidance, whereas like a bunt is like a strategic play. Like I guess that the throwaway is a strategic play, but like it's every down is sacred, Sam. Every down is sacred. Yeah, but I guess that my point is that like. Aaron Rodgers' completion percentage is down to like 62% or 63% or something. Because of the throwaways. In part because of the throwaways. But when he is like not throwing the ball away and Mm -hmm. his receivers get any sort of separation, he is Mm -hmm. still capable of putting it like right on the numbers, right on the chest from. Oh, so he's capable of doing the most average thing a quarterback can do? Like if you can't do that, you're average though. If he has a clean pocket and his wide receivers get full separation, he's still able to throw an accurate pass. I'm wondering when we throw a parade for that. But it's not just, like, five yards of separation. Like, if his receiver gets one to two yards of separation, yeah. he can hit it. Yeah. And that's the difference between a great that quarterback. Was really, that was really I, cool ten years ago. The top quarterback, like, there's, like, 15 dudes in the NFL that can do it right now. Quarterbacks got really good. I like don't really agree with that, to be honest. Oh, like, right. like he's not – like, I'll, I'll run through the guys that I think are better than him. He's no. not Lamar Jackson. He's not no. uh, Patrick Mahomes. No. He's not Russell Wilson. No. 
I don't know if I would rather have him or Deshaun Watson right now. I think I would probably take Deshaun, but it's close. I think so too, but we could have a, we could have a conversation about Deshaun's problematic pocket presence. I think it's close on Dak Prescott. Yeah. And realistically, I think that's it. Okay, but what we there, there are probably a couple more that are in that class, and we don't need to go into it. There's no question that Aaron like what? Rodgers like you would say, like Matt Ryan? Maybe I don't know. I mean, there, there's also let's take into account here um, the the way that the NFL is moving, which is offensive lines suck. And defensive lines have gotten just massively better. Sure, they used to be. There used to be like one dude on a defensive line that was super scary and have to double team. Like it seems like every defensive line has three of those dudes now. I mean, the Ravens had a, like yeah. the worst defensive line in the playoffs this year, and they were still like, "Oh my god, some of these guys you kill you." Well, um, and their defensive, defensive line, line functions differently than most defensive lines because 100%. they get all of their pass rush basically from linebackers, whereas correct, like it's Judon, it's um, yeah, uh, who's the other one? They have one other linebacker that like gets a shit ton of pressure, but like it's it's the way that it functions differently, and like you're spoiled too because you have the 49ers who have literally mm-hmm. the best defensive line. In football, right. because they have Buckner, they have Bosa, they have Eric Armstead, they have like a and million. And when they have Ford in there, it's it's game over. Right, exactly. So by I the way, think he's in that, there. Well, yeah, of course. Like D Ford's great. Uh, or I mean, he hasn't I, been I, great I, this year, but like he's been great throughout the course. The full of the, year. Arg- the full argument that I'm making is that a lot of people that are talking about this game have anchored themselves to two thoughts. One is that Aaron Rodgers is still that wily old quarterback who could go over to the sideline and make it wildly at, you know, just a ridiculous. They they remember that throw in Dallas that, you know, won a playoff game. You remember all of those crazy, like only Aaron Rodgers could do that throws in which there are a couple of quarterbacks in the league that do that stuff all the time now, one of which is not Aaron Rodgers. They're holding on to this old idea of Aaron Rodgers where the new Aaron Rodgers has significantly limited mobility, seems to just want to throw it away on any opportunity when the pocket breaks down. It did just like that's his first go-to, which is not what the Aaron Rodgers that everyone knew and loved. Um, and doesn't have any we- – I mean, he has one weapon in the passing game. I mean, and, and they – and I and and he doesn't have I think a very good head coach I, I think that Matt Lafleur oh, uh, is getting is getting schooled I think he's getting schooled What what Packers games are you watching I'm watching I'm the ones confused. where I'm watching the ones where first quarter and third quarter the Packers come out and look awesome and as soon as the script goes away they start looking like crap again Right but isn't that coaching like being able to schedule That's what out I said. plays That's what I said That's what I said they but You said Matt, Matt Lafleur is getting schooled You said. Yeah, because he's getting he's getting dominated when the schedule when he when the Packers have to get off schedule he yeah, can't but adjust. The, but the prep and the schedule matters. Like that stuff nope. is important. No, nope. no, nope. that's a part yeah, of coaching. It doesn't. It doesn't. It does in the regular season when you're going up against Kirk Cousins, the Lions, and the Bears. But when you're playing in the NFC Championship game, that's not something that I would feel too comfortable with. Yeah, and look, I We've have real, reached the big boy stage now. I have real concerns about them playing the 49ers. Like I think that. Yeah. Like, as someone who has a 10-to-1 Packers future, like, I've basically been trying ah, to... Ah, like, and now we understand. <laughs> no! It's really more about Laura than anything yeah, well, on my I, end. I would sure, I would, I would sure hope so. Uh, but I'm telling you, man, like, Aaron Rodgers is still really good. Like, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying he's trash. I'm just saying it's a bad matchup not, against the 49ers. And I think the 49ers, because of that ability to get pressure all the time, they're going to mm-hmm. win this game. But, oh yeah. And they're going to win it handily. I mean, I, I, I feel very confident about that. The only thing that 
Like, Rodgers is a better quarterback than Garoppolo. I don't know if it's that massive of a margin when you take into account offensive coordinators. Yeah, I don't think LaFleur is as bad as you do. Um, but I also again, think again, Kyle he, Shanahan is, like, a genius. So There's like, not – it's they're, they're just night and day in comparison. I think – I think we're going to have very serious conversations about Lafleur going forward. I, I think that uh, I think that he's fine. I think that it, he's certainly not regressive. Um, they still r- throw the ball on first down as much as anybody. It, it, it's I, I just don't see that much of a change. Then like he does a little bit more twenty one, or he does a little less twenty one personnel than Mike McCarthy. Like it just doesn't seem all that different to me. It's still Aaron kind of calling whatever play he wants at the line of scrimmage. Well, it's, it's still it's complicated you know, it's, too by the fact that they don't have the receiving weapons. Like 100%. Alan Lazard and we, is their number two receiver, and, and like I like Alan Lazard. About, like it's a lot. Uh, come on, yeah. No, outside of Devontae Adams, who to be fair was not healthy, uh, he still had that turf toe injury the first time these right. two teams played, and uh, old washed up Jimmy Graham, like. There's nobody there that does it for you. So it's Aaron Jones. Yeah, Jim, Jimmy it's, Graham is a worse weapon than like Lazard at this stage, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, but like that's where we're going. I mean, Mark right. uh, Val, Valdis Scantling. Uh, I, I don't know if he like that, had a limb amputated halfway through the season, but he, he ain't around. Yeah, like that plays directly into the 49ers because they'll just shadow Devontae with Sherman. I would assume. It, I, actually, they, they never do that. I don't know why. Maybe this is the week that they change their minds, but Richard just they like they like the comfort of knowing that the right side of the field is shut down and that you have to throw to your left and they can do a bunch of cover six stuff um, and mix, mix match there. Uh, they can go into man on third down and, and just go four against uh, seven. Like they, they can do they, they really like leaving Sherman on the right side, which I imagine. Adams is just going to spend the entire game as the, the left side sole X receiver, which I think is a good play. And then they'll probably shadow bracket him with Tartar Ward. Ward is a really good cover guy. So I, I do think it will be an interesting little matchup there. I would probably take the over on uh, Adams receiving yards. But I, again, I just think the 49ers are going to be able to put 30 on the board. And I can't see a circumstance where the Packers do without a significant turnover margin. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think that what the Packers struggled with in the first 49ers game was getting enough pressure, right? Like if mm-hmm. you can pressure Garoppolo and if you're the mm-hmm. Packers, that's where I think that they have a chance to stay close. Like that's well, really what it comes I, down I, to for me, and I don't know if they can do it. To be I, I just I just saw a, a better defense. Now, mind you, a tired defense, but a better defense in the Vikings not really be able to rattle Jimmy all that much. Um, the first time – listen, there's no question that the Smith – "Quote unquote brothers are elite defensive ends, but they're and Kenny Clark is just not getting the push up the middle that's necessary. I think the 49ers are going to be able to run the ball with just reckless abandon uh, against this Packers team as they did in the first matchup, and I, I the secondary for this Packers team is questionable at best. I, I have real questions about if they're going to be able to manage." A Kyle Shanahan game plan. The, the nature of a Kyle Shanahan game plan isn't I'm going to call a bunch of really cool plays. Like, there's no question he draws up cool shit. It is the actual chess game, and I know it's a tired old cliche, but I'm writing this up. This is, like, one of the big features I've been working on for weeks. I've talked to, like, 50 fucking people about what makes Shanahan great. And the one thing that pretty much all of them who seemed to know what they were actually talking about said was he fucks with defenders' heads because he makes them break their own rules of defense. And with the Vikings, you play they play a lot of cover four quarters coverage, and that means that the safeties, the two uh, split safeties, have to have two jobs on every play. 
that's both run and, and protect against the pass. They have to make a read. And we saw, particularly when they went to 21 personnel in, in the second half, the safeties just didn't know what it, where anything was going. And now you're going up against a much weaker secondary. And you could argue that the Viking secondary isn't all that, but they have some all pros no, back there. I think it, it's a weaker secondary. The, yeah. the thing that is – the only reason that I think this is a better matchup for the Packers than it is for the Vikings is because of the pass mm-hmm. rush. Uh, the Packers mm-hmm. were ninth in the NFL in pass rush win rate this year, and the Vikings mm-hmm. were 26th. So, like, yeah, you can make right. a real that's case right. that that's where they win it. But I, I think I think they will. I man. think they will get pressure on Garoppolo. I just don't think that they can then do the second part, which is necessary, which is really get really play physical with the 49ers receivers at the line of scrimmage as to knock off the timing. And that's what we saw so much of what the Vikings do against the Saints, which is they had a great pass rush. It was a gap pressure, which is really where every quarterback is going to struggle outside of Patrick Mahomes. Um, a gap pressure, or maybe Aaron Rodgers, or I'm, uh, Aaron Rodgers back in the day, and maybe Russell Wilson too, but a gap pressure, and then they were so physical on the outside, and there was obviously all the charge of that, that stadium and pass interference, and it makes refs think, think twice about anything. So physical on the outside, it just messed up the, the Saints' timing, and without timing, that offense is nothing. I don't think that they're going to be able to do that at all. I, I don't see the I don't see the physicality in the Packers' um, secondary players. I, you know Shanahan. Shanahan was able to get shitty receivers open by five yards. I mean, he he every year he's been with San Francisco, according to Next Gen stats, the the 49ers have had a receiver or two receivers in the top ten of average separation, and it was receivers like Marquise Goodwin. Like, it, it, guys who don't run good routes and can't do Like, Dante Pettis was massive in separation last year. He can't even get on the field this year. So you have good receivers. They could, they can't they can't cover Kittle. I mean, they can't do it. I think Blake Martinez is a cool guy and all. He went to Stanford. Like, he's a Bay Area dude. But, like, Blake Martinez is a sitting duck out there. And that's, that's a real problem. They just don't have the personnel to match up. And the Smith brothers are really good. But it doesn't make up for the glaring mismatches everywhere else. The same thing on the offensive end. Like Aaron Rodgers is still a really good quarterback, but he's not the one, he's not the quarterback that he was a couple of years ago to where he could just be like, everybody get on. I'm taking all 52 with me. He, he is a guy who cannot make up for the gap in talent between him and Garoppolo, which I don't think is that large at, at this juncture. And I'll, I'll be honest. I, I think it's basically take big. the other 52 with him. It doesn't I think it's, matter because the offensive coordinator, but it doesn't matter. matter. But, yeah. I think it doesn't – like, I, I think that it's still pretty large. Like, I think Aaron is still probably, what, the fifth-best quarterback in the NFL? But I just I, – I will not be able to get over those throwaways. And the fact that he holds on to the ball for so long is death. I mean, the number one guy in holding on to the ball in the NFL is Kirk Cousins, and we saw how that worked out for him against the 49ers defense. Rodgers holds the ball for a tenth of a second less than Kirk Cousins on average. Like, he had, he had one point – one yard per drop back the last time these two teams played. Like, if it gets up to two, I don't think that changes anything. Yeah, but there's very clearly a difference in terms of the way that, like, Aaron Rodgers is able to attack a defense by holding on 100%. to the ball versus Kirk Cousins. But, like, 100%. But that look, accuracy on the run is not where it once was. It really isn't. He used to be the best in the league at it, and he is no longer that, which just makes him a, a Matt Ryan type, which I guess Matt Ryan beat the 49ers. So maybe we have something here. Yeah, I mean he's better than Matt Ryan. I think right now he's better than he he is. He would have to like get to the level that Russell Wilson has been at this year, um, yeah. which I don't think he has been. Like I think Russell's been better than no, Ryan I think has it's, been this it's year. Markedly, markedly, yeah. Better. Um, for the Packers to have a shot, and the Packers would have to 
legitimately get pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo. And Garoppolo, let's just call it what it is. Garoppolo, and he is very want to do this, would have to completely shit the bed. Yeah, I was going to say, and the way that you do that is by getting pressure. I think, of course, like that's that's really just how you do it. And I don't. But I again, look. I, I, just, I think the Forty Nine ers are going to win this I game. I think they'll have the fast. I think they'll have the fast pass game. I think Kittle will be open all game, and they'll be able to run it with a plum. Like I, I think they will probably just do what they did in the second half of the game against Minnesota and just take the ball out of Jimmy's hands, except on third down, and they won't have a problem. I mean, most teams. That's a Garoppolo is statistically the best third down quarterback in the NFL too. So I don't think that they have an issue with just like you know keeping them cold until third downs going full Kirk Cousins on them. But well, and that's that, a big thing with yeah. Kittle too. Like whenever you have Kittle, it's just such safety blanket yeah uh, yeah and Emmanuel Sanders who's just always going to be open I mean just get himself a little bit open Debo Samuel who's a run threat and a pass threat and um and then you have Kendrick Bourne who Kendrick Bourne is, is not a very good receiver unless it's third down or a clutch situation in which case he's somehow like the fucking second coming of Jerry Rice I, I don't really get it he drops everything on first and second down but on third down it's just like third and 18 not a problem Kendrick Bourne's wide open so it comes down to Shanahan. Shanahan's just really, really, really good, and uh, they'd be it, with a really good defense behind it. One that he didn't have, if we're being totally honest. When Atlanta played in that Super Bowl, uh, I, I, I have a hard time seeing them lose to a Packers team whose defense has been riding on a reputation it built in the first four weeks and has dropped since then, and uh, and an offense that throws the ball away a lot. I guess this is sort of an NBA podcast. I don't know. Like... <laughs> Sam, really... I appreciate I appreciate you uh, you <laughs> honoring what I what I've been doing for the last couple of weeks and and just letting me get these hot takes out there. I, I, you know, listen, I'm nothing if not a takesman, and you have to you have to be pragmatic and go to where your audience wants to go, which is probably a different podcast at this juncture. So let's talk basketball. Before we get into basketball, though, like I said, I have a ten to one future on the Packers. <laughs> uh, it is conference championship time, though, and you can follow. All the lines at Bet Online. The early game on Sunday features Tennessee uh, against Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City is a touchdown favorite in that game, and I think it's probably going to be. A, I think that is a chance to be a closer game. You think? And you think you're going to take the? You're going to take the value there, seven and a half. No, I'm probably going to stay away from that. To be honest. Yeah, I, I think the, I think I'd get in on an alt alt uh, Chiefs uh, Chiefs line, or just take the the Titans money line straight up. Yeah, and then. Sunday night is obviously the Green Bay-San Francisco game. I'll probably head yeah. just by betting on San Francisco at this stage. That seems yeah, like the I would, play. I would again do what I did last night with Clemson and LSU, which is take the alternate line. I got LSU uh, minus 9.5, and, and that paid out uh, plus 125, which isn't all that great, but uh, uh, certainly better than you know just a, a regular spread bet. And uh, that, that was – I'm buying a fire pit because of it. So I, I think the 49ers, if you can get, if you can get a, an alternate line – Get up can, to that double we, digits. Take it. Before we get into the NBA, can we talk about that game last night? Yep. By the way, uh, who will reign supreme and host these uh, and hoist these conference championship hardware? We'll see on Sunday. Before the next kickoff, head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code CLNS50 to revive or receive your 50% welcome bonus. There are like a million typos on this copy I'm reading. Uh, for your first deposit, bring the playoffs home with our exclusive sportsbook partners at betonline.ag. Um, I don't understand why Sharps were on Clemson last night. Do you? I, do, I don't get it at all. I watched that. I mean, certainly you watched the Ohio State game. I watched it too. I saw Ohio State choke away a win against a Clemson team that could get no pass rush. 
that was questionable in, uh, at the linebacker position. In fact, the linebacker position just looked glaring to me, and they're keeping two on the field every play, and I'm just like, these guys can't cover. Like, what are you doing here? Um, I, I, I took that alternate line of nine and a half on LSU. I thought home field advantage. I thought that they had the better lines on both sides of scrimmage. It, it was, I mean, it was a little hairy there for a minute, but it kind of seemed laughable to me. Like Clemson, Ohio State was the second best team in this tournament. Yeah, like I think LSU had the best offense I've ever seen in college football. Like I'm not being reactive oh, yeah. to that. I legitimately believe that. Uh, I just thought they were going to boat race them. Like, they have yeah. four receivers. They have two receivers that are going to be first-round picks, one of whom is probably going to be a top-five pick, Jamar Chase, right, um, mm-hmm. in 2021. And they have two other receivers, Terrence Marshall and Dad Moss, obviously, who's a tight end. But both of those guys are pros for sure. And yeah. you have at least three offensive linemen that are pros. You have Joe Burrow, who's the number one overall pick for a reason. You have uh, Edward Hilaire, who is a stud is a running back and can both catch mm-hmm. and run out of the backfield. As we saw. I just, I just, like, looked at it and I was like, look, Clemson is a good defense. They have an alien in Isaiah Simmons, but, like, there is no way that they can stick with this. And, like, Brent Venables, he came in with an awesome game plan, even. And yeah. it didn't matter. It doesn't did matter. not matter. Talent they still wins. dropped 42 in 48 minutes. Talent wins, and in college football, the thing that where, where you want most of your talent is on the defensive line. I maintain that defensive lines win college football games. I've maintained it for years. And but like that's not Clems- even where LSU's talent is on the de- on no, defense. but they but but Clemson, but Clemson but this is another thing where people are getting anchored to this notion of Clemson always has NFL caliber defensive linemen, and like yeah, they do, but they're not going to have like four first round picks on their defensive line like they had last year. Like, I just didn't see a circumstance where they were going to really fuck up what Joe Burrow wanted to do, whereas with LSU, they just have some big hefties. They're going to stop the run to uh, whatever degree you can against Clemson and force Trevor Lawrence to throw it. Maybe he'll burn you, but I thought that he would burn uh, the LSU defense less than Joe Burrow would burn the Clemson defense. It was just a big mismatch there. If it really did come down to quarterbacks, as it seems so many big games in this day and age do, um, give me Burrow over Lawrence considering who they're going against every day of the week. Yeah, like you can't throw it near Stingley because he's just a total fucking monster. You don't want to throw it at Fulton because he's a first-round pick. Delpit has been like kind of a sneaky mess this year, but it kind of doesn't matter. Like he's still, what, you know, at worst, a top 40 pick, let's say. Let's even say, like, his stock, like, plummets into the second round. Um, mm-hmm. The Vincent guy is pretty good. Like, I, yeah. I don't know where they were going to get – like, I get that Justin Ross and T. Higgins are studs, but, like, on some level, it's just too hard to gain separation against all of those guys consistently. And yeah. then, you're, then you're asking Trevor Lawrence to, like, put it right on the numbers every time. and. I love Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to be the number one overall pick in 2021, but, like, mm-hmm. he hasn't shown that ability yet. No, he he would have had to have the best game of his career in order to keep that game close. It was There was just a massive talent disparity, which is something that sounds strange. I also took into account, you know, the fact that LSU is super battle-tested going into this game. They're playing at home, yeah. essentially. They, they had beaten how many, top ten teams? I don't how many top ten teams, and I watched Clemson 
who, unless Lawrence had probably something close to his best game ever, to beat Ohio State, like who else did they beat? I mean, they they, they had struggled in games this year. Um, I know Dabo Swin is always like, oh, you know, no one respects us. It's like, dude, I don't know what you were doing that you know demands yeah. respect. I don't hold on to old old teams. You had a brand new team this year, as everybody does, and you have to win on those merits. You have a great quarterback. You certainly have great players, but. Uh, you know, ACC doesn't battle test you the same way the SEC does. And you saw that, I thought, when, you know, Clemson goes up early and, S- and, and LSU is just like, yeah, we we got this. We're fine. And, and just Man, rolls. I'm so out on Dabo Sweeney at this I'm so stage. out, too. Like, I mean, listen, it it works, and you can okay, create your no, own realities through gaslighting, sure. but fuck him. Yeah, like, I'm not sitting here saying, like, he's a bad coach. Like, he's very clearly no, an he's, incredible he's, coach. he's outstanding, outstanding yeah. coach. But he I'm just, out on I, him. I, I, I disagree with this tactics. It's yeah, I mean, it's just like the constant playing the victim card in the media. It's uh, yeah. the fact that he was like, I would quit my job tomorrow if we paid players. Oh. Like what? What I wouldn't give for that moment. It's just all such a fucking act to me, and like I don't. You I don't can get away with that. this shit in college football, man. I mean, that, you really that's can. That's- that's something that's been proved time and time again over the last couple of years. Like the college football media is so generally thirsty. And uh, I think David Roth put it like uh, they they are so wanting as for any care, you know, any character whatsoever from one of these college football coaches that they completely overlook the fact that they're either complete lunatics or like gym teachers. Like there's just not like, we don't do this in any other sport. We don't create these cults of personalities around like Kyle Shanahan, who's clearly very good at his job as an NFL head coach. I mean, Belichick earned it and wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, it it's this ultimate power that these coaches have in small, mid-sized markets uh, where the teams are far and away the biggest thing that they have going. Like Clemson's the biggest thing in Greenville, South Carolina, which is a metropolitan area on par with like Las Vegas. Uh, so of course he is treated like an emperor and everyone has to just roll with whatever nonsense he says, but it, it, it's still complete fucking nonsense that uh, it's just, it's some small town gaslight Trumpian nonsense. And I, I, I I'm, I'm over it. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm, oh, yeah. Like I'm over this cult of personality kind of thing. Like I was listening, I, I was watching the coach's room last night, obviously, cause I'm a nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah the LSU Clemson game. And I was just and, like, and you have good taste. Well, I was just struck by Jeff Halfley. Like Halfley was just yeah. sitting there like consistently, constantly just like breaking down the personnel advantages on the field, like immediately mm-hmm. upon the play being called. He just has mm-hmm. like that NFL mentality that I think I like yeah. more. And it's just like guys like that. I mean, like I would rather listen to that than listen to this cult of personality bullshit stuff. But think about, think about what sells in those markets in those regions i mean you have mega churches you got a bunch of stuff i mean i'm sure i'm gonna get a a whole bunch of people tell like you know don't be coming at our way of life but like i've lived down there i I know how this goes and uh there there's always you call it a chip on the shoulder it can also be called the victim mentality but just in the general south southeast of this country there is this no one listens to us stuff and maybe there's some validity to it but they pray they pray on on this uh, tribalistic nonsense, and it, it you couldn't even try that shit in the NFL. You'd be you'd be ruined by every media every media base, and even the fan bases would get after you for being just like a kook uh, well, because they're big markets and people smell bullshit in big markets. And it's something I talk about with the NBA versus college basketball coaches all the time. Like mm-hmm. 
And the same goes for college football versus the NFL. The players are more important in the NFL than they are in college. In college, because there's such quick turnover, the coach is yeah. more important, realistically, to creating a culture yeah. and creating year-over-year success. But in the NFL, that shit just isn't the case. Like, the talent yeah. level is too flat. There are too many good players. So I think that it comes back to this thing where, like... Do you think that's the same the same NBA and college basketball right now? Because it does yes. seem as if... I mean, look at John Beeline right now. Like, Mm -hmm. it's – and, like, there are a lot of college basketball coaches that I think are much better about it, especially Mm -hmm. some of the younger college basketball coaches I know. Like, Mm -hmm. they're they're starting to take on more of, like, a professional mindset as opposed to, like, the college dictatorial mindset. But – Yeah. I mean, a lot of those, like, you know, 50s, 60s, you know, I don't don't mean to go, like, all, okay, boomery. On yeah, these yeah, guys, no. and like I think, like I like some of them. Like I know some of them personally. Like I don't dislike a lot of these guys, but like they You're are very cult of personality. Yeah, they're very cult of personality. They are very my way or the highway. It's can that shit play in this day and age? Because you see, in the NBA, NBA no. it's already lost. In the NBA, it's lost. Like the Straight coaches up, are, are no. almost meaningless. Uh, but in college, it, it almost feels like with well, the I... one and done rules as is that. You kind of almost have to, you know, be a player's coach from day one. I mean, what's what's Arizona's Twitter handle, like a player's program or something? Well, I think that it's that, and I think that, like, just transferring also has created a situation where yeah. you can no longer be actively disliked anymore. Yeah, I, I, just, I just don't know if there's that much of a gap. I think basketball has proven itself from top to bottom to be just a, a player-led game, whereas in football you can still make the argument, and I, I would, that it's a, a team-led game. And while talent absolutely matters, and, and he who has the most talent usually wins, like, you do need some cohesion. You do need some unification. And there is a uh, – it, it, with with the level of physicality that the sport has, you need to have some leaders of men and real belief in those rooms. Otherwise, you're, you're kind of shit out of luck. Um, so I don't, I don't know. But there, there's definitely a difference in how NFL coaches and college coaches handle themselves, and it's not uh, – if you were to ask somebody in a vacuum who doesn't know anything about it, which one would be more you know, dictatorial, like they'd be like, oh, NFL coaches, they, they're at a much higher level. Wrong. I mean, it just it couldn't, be, couldn't be a bigger difference, and I, I find it to be uh, repulsive. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I, I'm out on these dudes that are just – so absurd about like this this cult of personality bullshit this my way or the highway stuff like i, I don't i don't need that in my life like it's just like not, i'm also i'm also out on like mike leach like mike leach i'm a little bit out on mike leach yeah like mike leach is problematic like i can appreciate it that he doesn't you know kowtow to anybody or whatever like that that's cool like i got no problem with that and and oh man a little bit of court goes a long way in college football holy shit does it go a long way uh but this notion of just like, oh, Mike Leach is going to be great. He's exactly what Mississippi State wants. It's like, dude, well, yeah, I watched his teams. Like, he's going to get his ass kicked. It really helps that, like, a lot of college media in general is, yeah. like, 40 and over, to be honest. Like, and this is something yeah. I've talked about a lot. Um, like, to be honest, like, I entered college media whenever I started yeah. because I saw, like, a massive opening in the marketplace. Like, I was like, Oh, I can just, like, talk about things that are happening on the field or on the court and talk about um, things from an analytical perspective because nobody does that. Everyone just looks for these fun, quirky stories and everyone looks for, um, 
yeah. you know, these cult of personality guys. And, <laughs> you, and then, like, read, on top of it, Have you too, been reading these ESPN? Like, they'll go and they'll, like, try to get, like, the oral history of this coaches. And I can't remember who posted it on Twitter. I think it was a former Deadspin writer who's just, like, all of these ESPN cult of personality, like, college coach oral histories are just, like, a, a compilation of the most milk toast, boring fucking stories ever where it's like, man, he really likes cereal. One time he ate a whole bowl of cereal, like, right in front of me. And it's just like, Jesus Christ. And you read them and you can't unhear. Like, how does anyone think this shit is interesting? This person's not interesting. Why are we trying to make them interesting? Yeah, like, I, I just can't. I'm not intrigued by that. And I guess that some people are. And I think that, you know, college sports in general, despite the fact that it should theoretically, like, refurbish itself with, new mm -hmm. fans every year right like, no <laughs> yeah in theory in theory but like you, you gain how many you gain literally millions of new college students every year that should be excited to root for their team but like i feel like this audience is aging like i feel like the college sports audience in general is uh -huh. aging I, I i agree with you i mean honestly i don't think it has very much it's we are in a bit of a bubble having moved out to California and California doesn't give a shit. They just don't give but a like, shit. I was even football. just back in Pittsburgh where like, look, Penn state is still a thing over there to an extent. Ohio state matters. Um, yeah. you know, West Virginia yeah. matters there a lot. Pitt matters yeah. there a lot, but it's not the same as when I was a kid. Like it just isn't. No, it really isn't. It, it just, it just doesn't resonate as much. I, I honestly think a lot of that has to do with how boring the games are. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ with this, the clock stopping after every first down and then everybody running basically homogenized, um, modified air raid. Like it, 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 it's, it's pretty rough to watch some of these. I mean, last night's game took like four and a half hours. It was, yeah. it was egregious. It wasn't great. Um, but yeah, no, it's the stuff. But if you're old, you got nothing but time. Yeah, I guess that's true. But I, I really think that we we need like a bit of an influx of good young writers who yeah. don't take bullshit. And so much of the college stuff is transactional too, in a way. 100%. Like it, it's like that in pro sports. Look, I'm not going to be absolutely. But that. you have, but like, but it's, it's, it's it's different it's, in college. It's such a wild west, and so what happens is you get – I did this. I did this professionally for years. I was pretty good at it too. Um, you have assistant coaches. You have coaches that are on the up, and they're just on the phone all day. They're always recruiting. And, you know, as a media member who, you you know, nine times out of ten, you're just getting shit. I mean, if you, you're, just, you're just getting shit on uh, because people are tribalistic, and, you know, if you ever criticize anything – uh, you don't want it. So then you have a coach or somebody who is going to feed you some information for their own benefit or an agent is going to, you know, coach's agent is going to feed you some information for the benefit or some recruiting advantage so that you can tweet it out and they can get one degree of separation in a world where, frankly, let's just stop pretending. Um, you know, you feel good. You're like, oh, man, you know, I'm getting validated here. And it, it's just, yeah, it's extremely transactional. Everybody has uh, nefarious goals. Every, I mean, nefarious is strong, but like everybody has an alternate angle to everything because they're all just looking to move up, looking to move up, looking to move up. Whereas you have guys in the NFL who are just like, I'm cool with being a D-line coach. I'm never going to be a D coordinator. I'm making $600,000 a year or whatever. Like, I'm good. I don't have to go recruiting. I don't have to do shit. I just have to coach these guys up. I get to talk all ball all the time. That's all I want to do. And uh, some of these college guys, like, honestly, they're pretty shitty coaches, but they're really good at recruiting. So they constantly have jobs and they're just constantly 
just selling themselves to, to people in one way or another and, and, and you know, making friends and, and, you know, winning through the power of positive thinking. It is a messy, weird world out there in, in the college football landscape. And, yeah, you're right. that it, it, it can prey upon the young, and a lot of the old guys are, are so in bed with everybody, you know, ten times over that it doesn't matter, including ADs, where that gets to a really messy situation that we won't dive into here. But, um, man, like – it. You're 100% right. Like, if people could just talk ball, that would be way more interesting. But instead, it's about everything other than ball. And then you don't have any context for when you watch the game. And you're like, this game kind of sucks. So why do I care? (laughs) I think that this leads, interestingly, into what we wanted to talk about today. There was, you know, kind of an interesting thing that... It was something. It was, yeah, it interested us for sure. That's pretty Yeah, that's SLC fair. Dunk, the SB Nation, uh, Utah Jazz blog, who mm-hmm. you, there's, let's be real about it, like that website in general does look for things to be a little bit outraged about in regard to the like, Utah, Walmart the teams. Utah, and... The Utah fan base getting outraged over a national media thing? Never. <laughs> um but like generally, I think that like it, you know, they, they do interesting stuff, and I think that this is a case. Yeah, where they try. This idea is intriguing to me. So mm-hmm. they went through and tracked from what is it? It's like twenty different Twitter accounts. The yeah, uh, common words, highlights, hashtags, number of tweets, number of retweets, and number of likes. Uh, and then created a search that related to every player, their nicknames, Twitter names, Twitter handles, corresponding teams, et cetera. And then like brought it back to the corresponding teams um, mm-hmm. and then created like a data uh, for it, basically saying, yeah, these are the teams that are getting tweeted about most that are getting retweeted about most that are getting the most likes on Twitter, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. And what their conclusion is, and I think that this is where I would disagree personally with this stuff mm-hmm. um is that and it's because they have only done this over nine days so far um they started on january 4th 2020 yeah yeah it's just a small sample right now but the thing that's interesting is it seems like they are going to continue to update it hourly um day by day basically mm-hmm. like for, until for the rest of the season and that part of it once we get a lot more data is going to be interesting i think Right for now, sure. their case is that uh, if you look here, the Lakers, the 76ers, and the Hawks all get way more engagement than anyone else in the NBA, and mm-hmm. that that is a um, problem. Working out for the Hawks, eh? Basically. Like, it's a, it's a problem because people are uh, influencers or chasing retweets and likes, basically, and no only shit, talking about Sherlock. them at the expense of other teams. Well, I think that like, yeah, it's obvious that this is happening because of course journalists are going to chase the most interesting stories. But I guess that what I think it does raise an interesting question of is, do you think that the NBA media is too biased toward trying to chase the interesting story instead of being, or trying to chase the obvious story at the expense of trying to create something that is more interesting? Of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? trying to make money right if you want to create a socialist republic to which every team gets equal coverage go ahead that's fine that's a good idea i'd be all for it i'd probably subscribe but that's just not how this world works I, here, 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 but i don't want it, it to way. work that way either like i think that there's space for more conversation about certain teams but i, I, I also I, don't want it I, I, to be I, just about like you know all 30 teams 
equally getting the most coverage. Like, I, I think a, that's kind of absurd, to be honest. There's two, there's two different there's two different thoughts I have on this. One, um, Twitter is a terrible representation of the real world, and people who try to conflate those two uh, only expose themselves for being in the hive mind that is Twitter. Like NBA Twitter doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whatsoever. Um, there's no we NFL disagree Twitter. slightly on that for what it's worth. Yeah, but and we've had that, and we've had a much longer conversation. Go on back; you can listen to it all. Um, yeah, but like in general, then, I agree with the point that you're about to make, where you're going to say yeah. like that it it matters much less than what some people think it does. hundred percent. If that if your entire argument is predicated on Twitter accounts, I think that that is a foolhardy exercise. Now, I'm not saying that Twitter accounts shouldn't be part of a larger viewpoint towards this, but like you actually have to go where people are and uh, the NBA fan base, if it was solely people who are constantly commenting on Twitter, people who are part of quote unquote NBA Twitter, they wouldn't make enough money to have 30 franchises just period. Um, it's not a lot. It's what 2% of the population is an active user on Twitter. 2% of 300 million. Like, you know, that's why NBA ratings are down. Maybe it's uh, focused too much on Twitter and uh, NBA fits and shit like this. And we don't actually talk about the game. We talk about, you know, the soap opera that happens because we can comment on it easier. That is a media problem on top of that. And that's the second point. Um, I wish we could live in an environment to where media companies felt comfortable enough where they could take an L, quote unquote, on you know, a story that doesn't get that many reads and that they can devote resources to sort of the journalistic principle of this is interesting and people should know about it. But that's just not the world we live in. And that sucks. It really does. But that's on people for not buying it and for media is for not being able to adapt to the way that people consume shit. And again, I, I honestly think that if there, if there is such a fervor over the disproportionate amount of likes and retweets for the Lakers, the Sixers, and I guess the Hawks, I, I was unaware that the Hawks had such a rabid fan base. Maybe just Trey Young does cool shit all the time, and well, uh, yeah, people like it's... his steez. Well, I think Same it's, thing with Orlando getting some buzz. It's like because everyone well, no, like this is curiosity about Markel Fultz. This is where I'll get into why I think the small sample of this creates problems for the uh, for the conclusions made here. Uh, so Orlando, for instance, right? Orlando just had a ton of like lower level roster movement over the course of the last nine days. Uh, Jonathan Isaac and Al Camino, they just. Uh, announced that they're going to try and get disabled player exceptions for both of those guys, thus essentially holding them out for the year. Um, and Markel Fultz is, like, doing things in an interesting way, right? So yeah. I think that on some level, because we're in such a small sample, same with Atlanta. Atlanta's going through a bunch of turmoil right now with the coaching and with the way that they're playing and with the way that uh, – yeah, Just the players seem to be responding happening. to the coaching. Like, there's a lot happening there. And that's why I think that once we get into a bigger sample of data, it could legitimately mm -hmm. be pretty interesting to see what these findings are, but we're not there yet. Nonetheless, that's why I think it's kind of an interesting idea. It's no question an interesting idea. I just don't like the conclusion. I, I don't like that we're drawing conclusions off of it, and I also don't like that it, it, the conclusions are clearly a confirmation bias thing towards no one cares about small markets. Like if it was somebody other than a Utah Jazz fanboy site putting this out there, 
maybe I'd lend it a little bit more credence. But they're just creating data that 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 confirms it. And listen, they, if they go long term, I bet they'll find the same thing. Uh, people are going to want to uh, retweet and like shit about the Lakers. The Lakers are one of the best teams in the NBA. They have LeBron fucking James. They added another top five player, and they're good again. And they were also the NBA's marquee brand who is having a resurgent season after a couple of really shitty years. Like that, that it's just natural that they were going to yeah. that they were going to have a lot of interest about them. The Lakers were always going to blow this away. Like 100%. This year, no question. The, the, the Lakers the Lakers are a dominant force. They're the fucking Yankees. And with the Sixers, you have a team that no one knows what to make of, but they are a squad that is in a major market. At least they're the strong Northeast team right now, I would argue. Uh, they're more they're better established than the Celtics. Uh, the Celtics don't have a top-flight superstar, a guy who's got his own sneakers and shit right now. They play more of a team-branded basketball game. And listen, everything's just SEO, right? People don't search Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker's awesome. Uh, they might search the Celtics, but you need both in this day and age. And Joel Embiid does stupid shit on Twitter. And <laughs> Ben Simmons is, you know, dated a Kardashian for a while. Like, these guys are in the um, <laughs> the the air of, of popular culture for whatever reason. And they're also just a confounding basketball team. So I, it doesn't surprise me. But the notion – and listen, and I'm all for pushing up, you know, why don't we talk about the Bucks more, this and that. Well, I'd like to also give some deference to the media companies for being like, we try to talk about the Bucks. You all don't give a shit. I mean, I, it's one of these things – I'm doing it right now. Warriors, Warriors were the bread and butter for years for me. I mean, I, I could write anything I wanted about the Warriors, and it would dominate, absolutely dominate when it came to page views and interactions, and it was just like we were printing cash over the Mercury News over Warriors coverage. But they suck now, and it's the Bay Area, and the Bay Area doesn't fuck with suck. And But the 49ers are good, so what are we doing? I'm at 49ers every goddamn day. I'm not going to go and just be like, here's an interesting story about the Warriors, because no one cares about the Warriors right now. They're in the back of everybody's mind. And if they get good again or Steph comes back, that will change. But ultimately – you got to go to where the money is. There's just not enough money to where you can go where the story is anymore. It's just not how it works. And the, in the notion that everyone's just haphazardly throwing it at stuff, maybe that exists in some places, but it, it's just not this wonderful utopia where every team is going to get equal respect and equal value and all this stuff. Like this is a media landscape and the goal is to make money through interactions or whatever. I'm not sure how that works, but clearly the goal is to get as many people to interact as possible. And you're, you're going to go to the bread and butter places when that's the case. And he also decided the nine to really find out where that bread and butter is. So, yeah, I, I will push back slightly on that view of it. Ballers. Like, I do think the team, that social media teams, that uh, brands in general, could do a better job of trying, right? Agreed. Like, Agreed. I actually, like you said, that like, you give them credit for trying sometimes. Like, I actually don't know that they do, to be honest. Okay. Like, I think that a lot of them go straight to the same well a lot of the time and know that's that it'll be successful, fair. and that's fine. That's fair. That's fair. They're, they're not, you know, listen, it, it's also let's deal, let's be realistic about what we're dealing with here. Social media isn't exactly number one priority on most editorial charts, and it's not where the majority of brain power is. Now, that's changing to certain degrees, and there are very smart people that work in this, but it's usually uh, lower-level uh, salary people doing that kind of stuff. And, you know, especially at night, <laughs> you know, like – 
8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, Alex Caruso does something, and it's like, well, shit, you know, fuck hell. If I have a retweet quota or something, like, I'm not going to not do this. Like, I'm not going to not, you know, take the easy money when it's there. And, you know, what's the, what's the incentive to try in something that is so abstract in terms of uh, the capitalistic uh, upside as opposed to if you, you know, basically I, I, the way I see it is most of the time it's just used as an augmentation to an overall content strategy where you can say, oh, well, you know, you want to do business with us because we also got X amount of retweets or, you know, we, we, we amplify all of our shit. Like you just need to get those numbers up in the words of Matthew McConaughey and the Wolf of Wall Street. And so I, I just don't know if uh, why we're putting so much stock into it. And you're probably right. They probably don't try as hard as they could. But I, I maybe this is just me protecting my own ass. Like I, I, I would I would generally err on the side of, you know, Hanlon's razor as per usual, never attribute to malice what could be explained by stupidity. I, I don't think that necessarily they're out, you know, like, let's make sure that no one knows about these Milwaukee Bucks. Let's make sure that we never tweet anything about them. I think that they probably tried. No one gave a shit. And so they went back to the well. And maybe they asked to go back to the well. But, like, the well's the well. And this ain't a game where, you know, everyone gets to feel good at the end of the day. This is a game where they're, you know, trying to make as much money as abstract as it is as possible. And why would you fuck around with that? Well, and I think that a big thing that you see, for instance, with Milwaukee is that they essentially brought back the same team from last year. Like. They're a known entity. I, I don't know what new interesting angle that there is right now to write about Milwaukee. Um, no. I, I'd be interested. Like, I probably at some, at some point should write about Giannis taking threes and if he's done something specifically different with his shot mechanics. Right? Like, and Sam, I could, I could have told you months ago that that was a great story. In fact, I did. Oh, and here God. we are. God damn it. Um, <laughs> but, like, that's a, that's a one-off story. And I just don't really see a sustained world where that is – you can keep coming up with new angles over the course of two years for a team that is, for all intents and purposes, like, look, they added Kyle Korver. They added Rob oh, Robin Lopez, right? Like, yeah. But for all intents and purposes, it's exactly the same like group. looks exactly like his fucking brother. No one notices the difference when either of them are on the court, by the way. I mean, obviously they play differently, but and it's not hair. like there's a vision. Yeah, but like this, it's Lopez. They look more or less the same. You just if you're not paying that much attention, as most people aren't, you're like, oh, that guy plays a lot. It's yeah. in fact two. He's parent trapping us. But um, it's <laughs> like, but like it, Portland. It, also it's the same deal, also, right? But like, like Portland sucks. <laughs> like it's, Portland's it's, not very yeah, good it, right now. But like Sacramento, yeah. same deal. They basically brought back the same group of guys. Um, who is new and who is fun and who is cool? Because listen, yeah. if you would have done this a year ago. It would have been Warriors by a mile. And so what's new? What's different? What's cool? The Lakers are new. That's a new thing. Oh, yeah, they're also, you know, one of the best teams in the NBA. Let's also take into account that some teams play into this and some teams don't. The Sixers, for all, I mean, they are a very social media buzzy team. I mean, they they have their one star is out there in a passive way doing it. One star in a very active way is out there being very much online. And no one knows what to make of them, so there's a built-in curiosity there. They got the Eastern Seaboard interest. They're, they're always on TNT. 
there's a play there. Like I can see why there's an interest in that team. I, I wouldn't have necessarily guessed it, but now that the data's to whatever you know its worth is out there, I go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. On the flip side, you know, Milwaukee, Giannis wants nothing to do with the media machine, and I think credit to him. I think he's right in that regard. But geez, like they're not even playing into it in the least bit, and they're in Milwaukee. And as much as I love Milwaukee as a city, don't let's not pretend. Let's not pretend that Milwaukee is some hub of culture and influence in this country. And, you know, you look around the league, like the Clippers, the Clippers play in L.A. They're new. They're different. Now, mind you, their stars are sitting out on a fairly frequent basis, and that seems to be the narrative around them. But they don't change the narrative in another way. I mean, they're not a social media savvy team. Kawhi Leonard is the antithesis of that. And when, so when you have a star that doesn't want to be a star, like Giannis to a certain degree, and certainly like Kawhi Leonard, that doesn't help. Because people like stars. This is all People Magazine, Us Magazine nonsense on social media. So why, why are we pretending as if it's ridiculous that reclusives and introverts aren't selling? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like – I'm like trying – We can have there's, – there's bigger conversations to be had about how the league markets itself and how the league brands itself and, and what the right balance is. And, like, I, I think that there's a real case to be made for – you know, something that I know Ethan Strauss has written about and, you know, Dave Dufour and, and I, agree, I, like, I agree with all those guys. I'm in their camp. They go to bat for marketing the game itself. Mm-hmm. And if 100%. you move toward that, you are organically going to move toward, hey, Utah has won, I think it's 14 of their last 15 or 16 games. Why are they doing it? Yeah. How are they doing it? Boom. Um, give me part a of reason it, to give a shit. Give me a reason to give a shit, and ultimately the NBA regular season just seems to matter less and less, and the teams are more transparent about that too. And the league doesn't do anything to counteract that. Yeah. it's. I would like to see the NBA move toward a more substantive discussion about the game. And I understand that, like, yeah. for instance, and like this is something I think the NFL does really well. I think that they always have mm-hmm. color commentators on that are really good at breaking down defenses, right? Like Tony Romo, even like – Troy Aikman, 100%. Chris Collinsworth, these guys. And they like, build look, up the other side of the ball. Yeah, those three are probably the three best right now in yeah. terms of color commentary, right? Like, they certainly that have the biggest fu- jobs in color commentary. Other than, that, they have good, that they have good color commentators on the Sunday games, and we'll see if they can yeah. fix that on Monday night. Like, it helps that people know those guys, respect those guys, and that those guys bring it. Like, Do we that's think it helps that uh, Booger has been such a disaster for ESPN? It, it, that it helps? I mean, it, I, I think it's hindered. I think that no one I watches so that this guy can blather about it. I don't think that you should pay Tony Romo $10 million a year because I don't think anyone's tuning in to hear what Tony Romo has to say about right. anything. At least with It's, Gruden, it's like a value add like, versus something that mattered, right? No, Tony Romo gets you back to, to basics. He gives you a competent, uh, solid, rock solid, professional, critically acclaimed broadcast. Great. Um, you Man, need a little bit of you need a little bit of razzle dazzle. I think McAfee would be the play if you need to recreate John Gruden to McAfee. Man, I really thought Booger was not a disaster that first year. I actually thought he was. Oh, no, it like, got so bad year two. You're right. Booger was actually the better of the two year one. Yeah, and I thought he's even better than Tess because like Tess has like a weird 
I don't know that Tess, Tess has is too much for... energy. There's not enough magisterialness to him. He doesn't. He seems yeah. too excited. It's that's a college football. I'm trying to sell this on you, as yeah. opposed to the NFL, which is I'm trying to explain this. I'm trying to help you out. We're just buddies. There's a very. It's it kind of goes back to the difference between college and NFL coaches. One of them has to be flash and razzle dazzle and Joel Olstein, and the other one is just like I'm about ball, baby. And if you're yeah. here, you're about ball too. I actually really like Tess on like ninety percent of things. I just don't know that this Tess is the best. Quite for Tess him. is the best, yeah. but this is not. This is not good. Yeah, like I, I think that there's just a better way to go about using him. Maybe who would what? you? Who would you keep? Let's go with my Pat McAfee as color commentator angle, and I think you probably have to bring in a quarterback too, um, just to kind of counteract all of the McAfeeness. But who would be the? Who would be a good? Solid, professional, you know, has a voice, feels like big game, big game announcer, but it doesn't have the excitability because you can only have so much excitability. Let McAfee handle that. Um, who would I be think a good Dave play by Pash play guy? is really good. Yeah, he is really good. He and I think good. Pat and Pash play. does Cardinals games too, so like he's not just like the guy who deals with Bill Walton all the time. Like he is a guy right. that really knows football. Um, I just don't like yeah. Pash on a personal level. <laughs> Why? He's just kind of, kind of a dick. I don't know. He's never done anything the kind to me. Um, well, that's good. That's good. I mean, maybe maybe he's just uh, projecting what I'm throwing his way. I don't know. I, I'm yeah. just, uh, I, I, I've run into him like twice. It, it started well, and then I'm just like, ooh, you just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, dude. No, I, I actually I think Dave's really good at his job. Yeah, and maybe that doesn't. That's fine quite work for a national audience in the NFL, but like, I think Dave's really good. He has experience. If you're going to go with McAfee, he has experience dealing with something that's different, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's better suited to deal with Pat McAfee than Dave Pass should be a fucking promotion for him. He'd have to deal with less childishness. Right. And I actually like, like I like Pash with Bill Walton and He's like fantastic. I said, like, I he knows think, exactly think, how to handle it. I think Pash is actually really good. Um, in terms of quarterback, what? You're going to say like Romo and McAfee, but if it's Romo, no, there's no way you're money. bringing in a second guy, right? It's yeah, the problem Romo. is that I actually like Matt Hasselbeck in the booth on Thursday nights with McAfee, but their voice sounds almost the exact same, which is problematic uh, for a booth, and it works fine on a Thursday night AAC game, but here we are. Um yeah, that's tough. You'd want you'd want a quarterback expert, right? Some guy who's going to break down offense and defense, and then you keep McAfee in as sort of comic relief. And people, I think, would tune in generally to just somebody doing something a little different. Like the cool part about Gruden was that he could give you both. He would say some ridiculous, funny stuff every now and again because he's John fucking Gruden, and he's unaware that people are actually listening to what he is saying. But, um, <laughs> like – he also do an outstanding breakdown, and he'd super nerd out about football. I don't know who would be a good quarterback. I don't think Donovan McNabb's done a good enough job in, in any of his broadcasting endeavors to do it. You're also looking for you know someone who's not a, another white guy, which is you know probably just for, for the sake of audience retention. You probably don't want three white guys in a booth. So uh, I don't know. I don't know how we got down this path. I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of. I mean, the white whale is Philip Rivers, right? Really? I don't know, man. Philip, Philip, I don't know if you could do 16 straight weeks of Philip. I think he'd be pretty exceptional. I'm not gonna the lie White Whale is – I don't disagree with you. I would want to hear him in a Fox booth or a, a CBS booth for a year or two just to make sure. Um, you know, Peyton Manning is, is the White Whale. I mean, Peyton yeah, Manning's like point. naturally funny. Uh, I don't know if he's that funny. I don't know if he'd actually bring anyone in, but like Peyton Manning would be ridiculously good. 
<laughs> I mean, he'd be so fucking good at it um, that you, you couldn't do it. Same way that Kobe Bryant would be immediately the best color commentator in the NBA. Yeah, because Kobe just wouldn't take shit from anyone. Kobe just wouldn't play around. He would have he would put in a tremendous amount of work into you know knowing the ins and outs of everything that was happening. So he would he would educate and he would also you know it doesn't hurt that he's Kobe Bryant. He has a cult of personality. I mean, if Barkley wanted to put more effort into actually, if he had to, he doesn't have to, so he won't. Um, if he wanted to put more effort into the X's and O's of the game and shit, and actually you know adapt to the year 2020, he'd be outrageous because he's hilarious. But it's hard to find both. It's really hard to find both, and I think that in this day and age, you have to have it. You have to have it, otherwise it's just milk toast, and that's fine. You can be totally competent. Okay, and... here's, here's one. Dave Pash, Pat McAfee, and Lewis Riddick. Yeah, yeah. You can swing it as defensive guy. Yeah. I do think that the quarterback is – listen, you, you're not going to uh, get me to say no to that. I'm all in on that. I thought Lewis uh, was fucked over the last time around because Lewis is the best commentator ESPN has uh, 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 regarding football right now. Straight Yeah, up. I agree. That's why I said it. <sighs> I would want somebody in there to be able to break down the nuance of quarterback play, though, because it is so vitally important to the game of football itself in this day and age. And I don't know if Lewis can provide that. And so now the question is, would you rather have Lewis and a, would you rather – I don't know if Lewis can hold it. I don't know if he can hold it on his own. Now, maybe if they could teach Lewis to do play-by-play. No, no, no. Huh. I'm going to have to think on this one, Sam. This is this is a rabbit hole that I, I don't know if I'm going to get out of anytime soon. I like it, though. That's, that's the leader in the clubhouse. Anyway, though, we've got um, we've got this conversation here about the NBA. Oh, and really? okay, cool. I think that we can just kind of leave it as it is, right? Like, yeah, let's see what more sample size. Let's see what a larger sample size does, and let's maybe, you know, I'll, I'll tone it down a little bit and, and not worry so much about what's going on on Twitter. And maybe maybe we, uh, you know, again, as I said, I'm, I'm in the camp of the Strausses and the Moes and the, and the Dave DeFores where it's just like let's talk about the excellence of the game um, and maybe not bitch and whine so much about ratings and well, Twitter and stuff. Maybe let's practice what we preach. Well, what it is is I think that the NFL does a better job of getting more attention on their smaller markets, I would say. Yeah, the NFL will always have a market advantage, a market, not a market advantage, in the fact that they only play on Sundays, really. Well, do you you want to know what I think the big thing is? (laughs) Fantasy football? Fantasy football is certainly one of the big things. But I, I really think that the biggest thing possible here is that Every single weekend, every single game that a team plays is on <laughs> network television as opposed to cable. 100%. 100%. And, and it's, it's national. Everything is nationally broadcast, but locally broadcast, too. So, yeah. Like, if you're a Packers fan in, in Milwaukee, it's on Fox pretty much every <laughs> every Sunday, unless you unless it's that one weird week where you get to see best game or uh, or you're on some nationally televised game. And you know, hey, I'm on a nationally televised game, Sunday night football, that's a thing. Monday night football, that's a thing. You know what channels those are on. Um, yeah, it just has a much wider, much wider reach. Though, you know, at the same time, you're dealing with, you know, if, if the NBA put, you know, a, a Monday night game on ABC, Right. Let's just say that they they were able to swing that. Would it get the ratings? I don't know. This is an I don't know which way the card is on this bad boy. 
good question. Well, the, the question is, would it get better ratings than like The Bachelor or something like yeah. that? Like no, I mean, that, that's, that's ABC's thing, whereas the NFL, maybe we're past the point of no return in terms of uh, <laughs> crazed crazed viewership. I mean, the NFL, you can put it on any night of the week on any channel and people are going to find it and they're going to consume the shit out of it. And if you make it easier for them, they're, I mean, that's just <laughs> printing cash. I mean, absolutely printing cash. I, I, I don't know how you're going to compete with four, you know, full grown dudes run into each other as hard as they can. Like it, it, at some point we have to reckon with America's, uh, <laughs> America's bloodlust. That's exactly right. <laughs> and, uh, but I really I, do think the fact that yeah. basically all NBA games are on cable TV versus all NFL games being on network TV is a big difference. It's legit just a massive thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll go, always go back to my same point, which is uh, we don't have to pretend that the regular season matters all that much anymore, and so people don't because there's a lot of other shit that you can do. And in an era of limitless things to consume, you have to create some – you've got to create some juice to the thing. You've got to create some excitement. You've got to create something. And you're right on the national thing. Uh, you're taking into account you know, how many national games are there a week. Uh, you're probably doing about 10, 12 out of 30 teams playing an average of two, three games a week. So the vast majority of games are on local TV. That's not ideal in a cable-cutting world. Uh, people will not pick that up. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a sacrifice that people are willing to make. And again, you know, it's just like, why do I want to watch regular season game number 60 uh, <laughs> out of 82 when it doesn't seem like the players give that much of a shit? And the NBA hasn't told me any reason that this game really matters. I mean, it just unless you have a supernova franchise like the Warriors have been for the last couple of years or like the Lakers are right now, um, it just it just doesn't play. It doesn't pass the smell test. Whereas in every game of an NFL season, you can create a narrative as to why it matters. And even they struggle with that sometimes. But you only have 16 of them at most or at the least. And uh, and you know what day they're on. So and pretty much what time they're on, too. So it's a. Uh, yeah, I, I, the NBA has got some things that they need to work out. I, I you know, as much as we've uh, not shit on Adam Silver uh, because David Stern died recently, uh, <laughs> I don't think that they have the right leadership to, to figure all this stuff out. I think that they have proven that their priorities lie um, in the wrong place and, and not want to take account of problems that they have in the day of and they're trying to band-aid over with adding stuff in the future when I think they're in a position where they need to trim fat as opposed to uh, add more meat to the bone. So we'll see how it goes. I'm very interested to see this data moving forward because, you know, if nothing else, it will rile people up and maybe people will talk about the NBA a little bit more. <laughs> maybe the only thing we have in this day and age is people bitching and complaining about uh, how much the media doesn't care about their team really is. That's it. People just like to complain about 100%. the NBA not caring about their team. That's really maybe, we, maybe everybody's just Dabo Swinney out here, just bitching and complaining. Dabo and, out to get just Dabo and left and right. Good luck to them. Good luck is there anything them. else you want to talk about NBA-wise? I don't know. Like it, It's kind of, as we've kind of talked about here, it's kind of in that okay. dead zone, right? Like, yeah, and I talked I'm, about Chris Paul I'm really worried last about week. Chris Paul's awesome. I'm so glad. I mean, listen, I, I can shit on Chris Paul plenty, and there's plenty to shit on him with, but the notion that he was somehow, like, washed was preposterous. He, he hadn't shown up to a couple of big games. He had a big injury. Um, but 
I think we both kind of saw this coming with Oklahoma City to a certain degree that like they would win the trade if for nothing else they got <laughs> all those draft picks for Paul George and then they get Shea and he's really really good and we we I don't know I don't know if we I think you've been higher on him significantly you know longer term I think we both thought that he'd be a really good maybe a fringe All Star guy but. He's starting to show that he might be a little bit more than that. I don't think he'll ascend to superstardom, but like Jesus Christ, I mean, if you can get a guy who, who's uh, consistently going to, you know, earn All Star votes, uh, that that's really something to be proud of. There, like that's just a good basketball team. They're well coached. Um, they, you know, they know what they're about. And, and Chris Paul's out there looking for heads, and it's just like shit. You know, I'd watch that team. I'd get behind that team. That that team makes the regular season matter to me a little bit. And uh, maybe we need more teams like the Thunder, who just are are about this action. Uh, from October until April. We'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, I think they'll trade Gallinari uh, just because you don't want to overcommit to a seven seed. But I, I, I like watching them play. I, I think that they're they're really fun. Uh, you know, uh, going, you were about going to dive to, into Sixers' work, words. Yeah, please. Yeah, I'm kind of over them. I don't know. I, I feel like they need to shake some serious shit up. We went, uh, you know, the Horford thing, who could have seen that coming? Um but, you know, with Joel out, that will be an interesting – there will be an interesting thing to see how it's reshuffled. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll fully admit I'm anchored a little bit to a preseason prediction, but are we sure Are we sure Brent is up for this? Are we sure that Brown's the man for the job here? I'm starting to get a little bit worried. I think Brett is really good. But... I agree, but I, I think he might be in over his head with this team. I mean, this team is, a, is well, one I... hell of a weird puzzle. It's a weird one. I think everyone would be a little bit in over their head. Like, I don't think this 100%. is just like a Brett problem, but... 100%. I don't think there's a long-term solution here, but I, I, let me put it this way. I, I don't think that Brett is the problem, but I don't think he's the solution. And I think if you bring in somebody else, maybe just the act of having somebody else being the head coach of this team could spark some unity because that seems to be what this team really lacks on the court. They don't seem to have an identity at all. And they're, I mean, other than like, we're really good at defense when we commit ourselves to that end. But now they're so focused on trying to get their offense working, their defense sort of has slipped a little bit. And it's like, I think they'll be fine in the long run. I just, I don't know if that voice is, is going to be able to transcend the muckiness that is on this team that I don't necessarily think is his fault, but. Ultimately, it is his problem to solve. And again, I, I don't think, I don't think he's the man for that job. Whoever comes in next, if, if the team stays more or less the same, they're probably not long for the job either. But you, you got to take the short-term gain while you can, because this team has a very open championship window. I think that's right, but I still think that they're a move away. I still think they're a move away from a championship. What do you think that move? What is that move? What, what, what is what? What have you extrapolated out in your mind? Because I don't think like an Alec Burks fixes this. No, 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 no. Like I think it's moving Horford for something substantial. Substantial at the wing position or point guard position. For me, it's a point guard. But realistically, I think you could say anything. <laughs> Like, any perimeter player, right? Like, I think as long as they can, you know, dribble a little bit and shoot. But for me, it's a point guard. Like, the deal that I floated is Al Horford yeah. plus stuff for Chris Paul. But Yeah, I don't think I don't think Oklahoma City's going to do it. Yeah. Um, like, you could do, like, Al Horford and maybe, like, Al Horford for, like, Goran Dragic and something. Man, that's, that's tough goings, too, especially with Miami. I mean, some of the teams that we thought – would 
be in a position, kind of a no-man's-land spot where they might want to make a move. They've exceeded expectations, at least, you know, probably external expectations. I don't know about internal, but, like, it'd be hard for the Heat to move off Dragic now. I understand that they could probably survive, but, like, shit. I mean, they're looking at the East and going, like, why not us? Um, so it'd be hard for them to move off their point guard. And I don't think Derek Rose or somebody like that does shit for but like Dragic, Yeah, but, like, Dragic isn't, like, really – playing super well, I guess. Like, I don't, I don't no, think I agree with you. Goron is, like, their guy, maybe. I don't I mean, know. Do you think that do you think that the Sixers would be willing to make a trade with the Heat again? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I, mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how those I don't, I don't think that that's Elton, not what's worked out. Elton Brand is a very uh, very affable guy. Um, like, Goron yeah, shoots just... 40% from three. Like, he shoots – he's averaging, like, 16 points. He'd be very good uh, as a pick-and-roll this... weapon next to Simmons. Like, I, I think that Isn't... that's, like, kind of an interesting yeah. fit. Isn't it so weird that last night I was thinking, uh, you know, what the, the Sixers could use is some more T.J. McConnell? <laughs> that's something that legitimately crossed my mind. Yeah. It, I mean, they could use another point guard for sure. Yeah. I, 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 I'm legitimately flummoxed as to who it would be. There's not a lot of – it doesn't seem like we've made that much progress at the point guard position. Um, like it always seems as if there's like four or five teams that are just a point guard away and maybe they rotate a little bit. But, um, you know, it seems, still seems to be the same four or five – you know, about four or five teams that still just need a point guard. And I think it might have to be more dramatic. I don't know what Al Horford gets you right now. I don't know who's who's really clamoring for some Al Horford time, and you know it, that's a real sell low situation for for the Sixers. I, I don't think that they're they're in that business. I think that yeah. they might be wrong, but I think that they think that they have many years of championship contention. So selling Al Horford now probably limits that long term viability for them, and that's not good. Uh, it might could, be the truth of the matter, but it, you know, people lie to themselves in many ways. Could sell itself on Horford this next is, to Towns and do Jeff Teague? I, that literally read my mind there. That's I don't love I, that. that. Like that, I don't love Jeff. That's Teague, why I though, said it. So. That's why I said it'd be a real bad sello. I mean, you're going from Al Horford to Jeff Teague. I mean, that was your big free agent signing. Um, yeah, that just it just doesn't play now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there, it's hard. There, it's there hard is, to fix the Sixers. There's one gentleman who I think might actually play. Who? His name is Russell, plays for the Warriors. Yeah, but I don't – I mean, do you see that being a thing? Yeah, I don't I don't see it being a thing this year. Yeah. Now – I mean, have, honestly, that is, that is a fascinating move because I think that Al would really fit in with the Warriors. Yeah, or they could move him to another team and they can get, you know, a wing. Um, but, yeah, he would definitely fit in with the Warriors uh, who, you know, they think that they're pretty good at the center position. They've always undervalued the center position, if we're being totally honest. Um yeah, let's also be realistic about what you're getting in Al Horford. You're, you're getting an old dude. Now, maybe that fits in with the Warriors who, <laughs> when they get Clay and Steph. I mean, and probably Andre Iguodala back at the end of the – if Andre wants to play another year, he'll be back for the Warriors next summer. Um, you know, and, and Draymond, who, who has – you know, I think he's like 30 years old, 29 years old, but has the body of a 40-year-old. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty old. They don't have that much longer to contend. So maybe that is the play, uh, at least for a year, but – yeah, I think that there's something there. I just don't think that it happens at the trade deadline unless it's tremendous value for the Warriors and I, the Sixers aren't in a position. I, I just don't view the Sixers as irrational actors in this marketplace just yet. And so that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I'm just not sure where this goes. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I feel like they're going to waste a year. But I do th- – and so right now you have to think, well, okay, if we're going to keep this this roster together, what do we do? How do we maximize it? 
well, you get rid of the coach. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of a shitty way to go about it. But if they've decided that um, we can't get a better roster than we have right now, then you have to get somebody to make the roster fit together than it does right now. Just, it just is what it is. So um, that, that's, I, I think that we are not too far away from real hot seat talk regarding that. But again, that's something that I predicted a long time ago, and I, I, I'm going to always err on the side of me being right if, uh, if there's a possibility. So maybe, maybe my entire testimony should be thrown out of court. All right, let's. Uh, I don't know. Is, is talk, there anything? Talk Oscars at me. Talk. Oscars oh God, yes, yes. You've given me the floor on my own podcast to talk Oscars. This That's is what I need. How it works on your podcast when you bring me on. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Okay. So, what, what? Talk about snubs first, and then tell me who's going to win them. No, so I, w- I want to talk about positives first. Maybe okay. let's let's go Ooh. there. Ooh. Um, okay, fair enough. Parasite, like this is something unprecedented. Like as someone who follows the Oscars and like yeah. really pays attention to this shit, right? Like. The fact that Parasite got six nominations and is in a relatively good position to potentially win Best Picture, um, that is incredible to me. It's my favorite movie of the year. I think it's the best movie of the year. I just watched Mm -hmm. it again on Sunday with Laura. Is it on on demand or anything right now? It, today it just went live to like rent on Amazon Prime. Oh, that's great! I'll rent it. I haven't. Yeah. I, I wasn't able to get into San Francisco to see it, but I really did want to. So uh, I will rectify that this it's week. It's spectacular. Um, I loved like I liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a lot. Yeah. I like 1917 a lot. Like I'm glad that those ones got a lot of nominations. Um, Is 1917 just like Dunkirk but earlier? No. Very oh, okay. different in terms of film. Dunkirk is better, just oh. straight up. Like, it's it's just okay. better. Um, Dunkirk is also one of the most underrated movies of the last, like, decade, I think. I think mm-hmm. it's exceptional in every way. The way that Nolan, like, messes with time, the way it's shot, everything about it I think is amazing. 1917 isn't quite that, but it's really yeah. quite exceptional technically. Um, okay. What else is positive here? Uh I mean, not not a ton. <laughs> I'm trying. Okay, so tell me about tell me about the snubs then. Joker getting eleven nominations is bad. The movie is bad. Yeah. It's morally bankrupt. It's. I even think in terms of like what it's trying to say, like it's not saying what it's trying to say. Like it, it's just it's bankrupt in terms of thought. Like it, it's not a smart movie. I don't think it's nowhere near as smart as what Todd Phillips thought it was. I didn't think it's a knockoff yeah. of taxi driver. It's like, it's not, good, yeah. I don't think at all. And, well, and I talked about this on the, I talked about it on the podcast earlier this year. Like I, I, I did not like Joker at all. It doesn't surprise me that a movie about the Joker thinks it's smarter than it actually is. It seems like that fits its audience. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so little women got six nominations. Haven't seen it. You, you raved about it on Twitter. I think it's a, I think it's an exceptional movie. I I do think that Sony kind of fucked it up by oh. releasing it so late okay, in the process. They released on Christmas. I think if they would have released in early December and let it get mm-hmm. ahead of steam, mm-hmm. we'd be talking about it slightly differently. Um, okay. For Greta Gerwig to not be nominated for Best Director, there's so much going on in that movie from set design, the way it's shot, uh, mm-hmm. shot composition, um, costume. The performances are all amazing. Like, there is so much going on in that movie, and for Greta Gerwig to not be nominated for director is kind of a 
joke to me. Um, yeah, no, you, as as you've said, and, and in, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, I'll take your word for it. And in general, I think it's kind of a joke that there are no women nominated this year, and like you, people will make the case obviously that it's a quality based thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can make a case that Lulu Wong and, you know, Greta Gerwig and X, Y, and Z, Marielle Heller for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is, like, just a fine movie, I think. Um, okay. All of these women finished sixth through ninth in the voting. And, you know, that's why they're not nominated. I think okay. the problem is that the voting body is distinctly old, pale male. Yep. The quote, uh, Siobhan from uh succession. Yeah, from succession yeah even though she said stale pale male um it's also also accurate it's just not very it's not diverse enough and to say that it is is like ridiculous to me uh and yeah. i think that that's why we've seen six female directors over the course of the entire history of the academy awards be nominated that's just embarrassing I think, especially in a year where there are so many strong female performances, like the farewell doesn't get any nominations. The farewell is astounding. Um, yeah. Aquafina is exceptional. And, uh, like Lulu Wong directed an incredibly personal film that I think is Mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. Um, I'm trying to think what else I didn't love here. Oh, uh, Jennifer Lopez not getting nominated. That's another one film directed by a female, um, exceptional performance by Jennifer Lopez as well. Like I thought she should have won this category and oh wow, I have seen all of the performances in this category that are nominated other than Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. And she was the best to me. It's between her and Florence Pugh. I would say, uh, Laura Dern's going to win. Yeah. Lawrence Dern, Laura Dern's going to win because Laura Dern is the past president of the Academy and her performance Mm -hmm. is good in marriage story. Like I'm not going to sit here and say it's bad, but, um, She's going to win, and it's going to be... Politics, you know, like, politics are a hell of a play, man. It's going to be a culmination of her career, and she is deserving of an Oscar at some point, so whatever. Yeah. Um, she gets to play Laura Dern, and everyone loves it. She's literally playing... Do you watch uh, Big Little Lies? No, but I, I, I'm familiar. I, I don't, I've watched it all and off. Yeah, she's literally playing like Lawyer Renata in Marriage Story. <laughs> so... I mean, listen, um, you know, if you, if you got a role and you could ride it, ride it. Who I'm am I to judge to, on uh, typecasting one so? I'm trying to think what else, if there's anything else. Did you think Adam Sandler deserved a, a nomination? So I wasn't I wasn't so sure on that. I would have I would have had him over a few of the actors in here. Um, okay. But cool. like I would have had him over Jonathan Price. I honestly like I think DiCaprio's performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's Hollywood is good. Like, it's not great to me. Oh, really? I um, thought it was really good. I didn't even really care for that movie all that much, but I thought I thought both him and Pitt were really good. Yeah, like, I, I think Brad Pitt's amazing, and I think Brad Pitt should win supporting actor, but, yeah, like, I think Leo's performance is just, like, solid and good. <laughs> like, I have no problem with him being nominated, but... Um, Fair enough. Like, I, I would take Sandler over him. Uh, I think Adam Driver should win this category. For Marriage I, Story? Yeah, and I actually didn't really love Marriage Story, but yeah. he's... Just amazing in it in every way. He's, he he, real good at this acting thing. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think what else. It's kind of it's, it's, it's just a loaded away. it was a loaded category this year. Like Eddie Murphy was really good in Dolomite is my name. Uh, yeah, Robert Pattinson. No yeah, like Robert Pattinson never got a sniff at this category, and he's amazing in the Lighthouse. I thought yeah. like there was just 
no chance. I still haven't seen Pain and Glory yet, though, and I guess that that's like the one. What's Pain and Glory? It's this movie by Pedro Almo Amaldivar, um, who okay. is a very famous Spanish director, um, and okay. I guess that like Antonio Banderas plays this oh, old director that's who the Banderas movie. Got it. In his decline. Um, cool. I still haven't seen yeah, it yet, so... though. That's that's going to be a new one that's coming this week for me. Um, I'm trying to trying to think. I've I have other like lower category takes. Like 1917 should be nominated for best editing, and I don't understand why it's not. But like. Yeah. Do we need to get into the weeds that far? I don't know. It's your call. It's your podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think Joker is bad, and that's that's my overarching takeaway. No, no women, uh, in near, not nearly enough representation of the great year for women that it was uh, this year. And yeah. Joker is not good. I don't get it at all. <laughs> Okay, so I will not watch Joker. I, I'm yet to see it. I, I had no interest in seeing it. Um, and then, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, it's winning all these awards. And I go, oh, shit, maybe I have to watch it reluctantly. But you, as my movie shaman, say no, and so I say no. Yeah, I mean, it's worth watching, I guess. But Is like, it? Is it's, it? it? It's interesting. It's not a bad, like, it's well, it's very good technically. Like, the score is really good. Um, Didn't it win the Golden Globe for score? Did it? I don't know. I don't pay attention to the Golden Globes. It's just tones. Yeah, and, like, he created a gritty Gotham slash New York, whatever you want to call it. um, Cool. Through shot composition and through, like, set design in a way that I found interesting, but it's just very dour. And I thought the script was bad. I guess is what my <laughs> concern is, and not and not like in a Dieter's critiquing Aaron Rodgers way. You're talking like in a legitimate cross the board, yeah. uh, ubiquitous manner. I actually thought it was pretty bad, to be okay. honest. I'm definitely not watching it then. Watch it win though. <laughs> it, uh, it could win for adapted screenplay. I think Ugh. Little Women should win for that, but I mean it wouldn't be out of the question. <sighs> you think a lot of Little Women should win a lot of things. So I do. Here we are. Well, I think, Parasite should, I think Parasite should win most everything. Um, to, to me, like, the four clear best movies that are also, like, nominated substantially this year are Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Little Women, and um, 1917. Those four movies are all great. They are all mm-hmm. very deserving. Fair enough. Dieter, do you have anything else? I feel like I just talked, to you, talked at you. About movies for a while. We listen. Sam, it, it's mutual in, in this world. Uh, I just come on your podcast and then vent on whatever I had going on in my head all day, and you sit there patiently and listen. And I learned something listening to you talk about movies, so I appreciated that. I have nothing else to say. Tell people what's going on in your life. You have a new radio show. You have yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things. For for better or for worse, I've been filling in. We'll see if it's a permanent thing. Things are happening on that front one way or another. We'll find out sooner rather than later. But uh, if you're in the Bay Area or literally anywhere on the West Coast, it, it sure seems. Uh, KMBR between 10 and midnight, uh, Monday through Friday, I'm, I'm hanging out and talking at you. Um, so that that's always fun. And uh, so long as the 49ers continue to win, I will continue to hang around with them because I am the ultimate ring chaser. Hung around the Warriors for a long time. That worked out pretty well for me. And so now I'll hang around another good team until that train runs out. And then I guess I'll have to figure out what to do with my life. So uh, that, that's kind of what's going on with me. It's a busy time. Dieter is the Bay Area's Robert Ory, folks. He's out here ring chasing. <laughs> and knocking down big shots left and right. Knocking down big shots, ring chasing. 
go to the athletic. I'll have a few things up this week. Uh, we're going to, you know, Seth part now, Danny LaRue and I are going to keep previewing trade deadlines for teams. Uh, I'm going to keep writing prospect rankings and I'm going to have some draft stuff coming up too. So keep it locked there, but until next time, we'll talk soon. That's all I got. Bye. Bye.